Welcome to the special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, Catechesis from the Cathedral. Join Father Adam Streitenberger on a tour of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In this episode, Father continues his discussion on prayer, specifically paragraphs 2650 to 2751. Here's Father Streitenberger. Enjoy! In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful. Grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord, Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we continue today with part four of the Catechism, which, as you remember, the part four is on Christian prayer. So, over the last um, couple weeks, we have um, gone through how prayer um, really is this response of the human person to God's revelation of himself, and that... Um, Throughout salvation history, throughout the Old Testament, um, certainly in the fulfillment of revelation in Jesus Christ, and in the life of the church, we have seen um, how vital and essential prayer is as a part of our response to um, the Lord reaching out to us. We continue today with paragraph 2650, um, and we're going to go through um, the next hundred paragraphs of the Catechism. And as we do so, um, we're going to get more really of the foundations, um, kind of the prerequisites and the requirements of prayer, um, and um, even um, begin to look what at what Christian prayer really looks like. Um, so to begin with, the Catechism um, starts out in 2650 with a very important statement about prayer. Prayer cannot be reduced to the spontaneous outpouring of interior impulse. In order to pray, one must have the will to pray. Nor is it enough to know that the scriptures reveal about prayer. One must also learn how to pray. So there is, the catechism really is kind of cut, cutting off to um what I would say, two big errors in the Christian experience. The one is to reduce prayer as just sort of a spontaneous outpouring of an interior impulse. Um, what the Catechism is pointing to is really prayer engages the whole human person. Um, the whole human person really um, surrenders themselves, um, engages with the Lord in this act of prayer. And it in, it really in t it includes sort of an intentionality and a will and even um, to some point um, the use of reason. Now this is isn't to reduce it um, to um, just a, a human function. Of course, we know that uh, prayer is a grace and that the primary agent of prayer is the Holy Spirit, which the Catechism will point to in these paragraphs. Um, 
but to begin with, um, we want we want to we want to kind of see prayer as um, an intentional human response um, to God, not just some reaction or interior impulse. The second issue is um, is really the practicality of prayer. To be able to define what prayer is or to be able to point to how scripture talks about prayer is not sufficient. There has, prayer has to be practiced and lived on the experiential level. Um, we can't just have this sort of intellectual concept of prayer. Um, those two key things, I think, frame what the catechism is going to kind of lay out in the next hundred paragraphs, which is the ch- the tradition, really, of Christian prayer. So first we begin with what are the, the, re- the foundations, we might call them the prerequisites of prayer. And there's essentially five of them, and the catechism outlines these in 2652 through 2660. The first foundation of prayer is the Holy Spirit himself, who is the living water. Um, Christian life in all of its form, um, in the sacraments, in the moral life, um, and in prayer, really um, comes from not just man's response, the human person's response to God, but really is an action of the Holy Spirit. And if you recall in the very, very, very beginnings of the Catechism, in laying out the creed. Um, The first two major sections of the creed, the section dealing with I believe in God the Father and the section believe um, I believe in Jesus Christ, that really is the summary of revelation of God's reaching out to us. The third part of the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, etc., etc., that really connects to the response and at the heart of that response is a profession of our belief in the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to respond to revelation and so the sacraments the moral life and prayer are all possible by the Holy Spirit living through us and enabling us really responding with us and for us to the love of the Father revealed in Jesus Christ. So the first prerequisite, we would say, of prayer is the Holy Spirit himself. The second um, is the Word of God, Scripture. And so frequent reading of Scripture, where we see the dialogue with God and the human um, race taking place, is a crucial part of prayer. And it becomes a launching point for um, the two types of 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 mental prayer, um, meditation, and contemplation, which, again, the Catechism will explain a little bit later in these sections. The third kind of prerequisite is the liturgy itself, um, where the Church, um, in the the life of the Church, um, the mission of Christ and the Holy Spirit um, is proclaimed and continues to be communicated. so really we find another source of our prayer, the Holy Spirit, Scripture, and the liturgy. Um, a fourth prerequisite are the, th- the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. You know, faith, um, we might say this is the gate that opens up the life of prayer. Um, hope 
is um, sort of the expectation that drives prayer. And then um, love is really the source of prayer. Um, and it's what draws us to the summit of prayer, drawing us to the Lord. The fifth prerequisite for prayer is what the Catechism says is today. And that is um, in two, two sense. First of all, is that in prayer we bring to the Lord each day, what's going on each day. Um, it's really where our day meets the Lord. The other thing is that prayer needs to be daily. It needs to be daily. Um, I think we might even add a third sense, too, um, which the Catechism alludes to, and that is living in the present, that you know, prayer enables us to kind of face what is before us as little children, um, attentive to what is before us, attentive to what the Father is doing before us. The Catechism then shifts to the how, we might say, of prayer, how prayer works. And it essentially um, points to four persons. Three are divine persons. One is a human person to kind of illustrate for us how prayer works. So, um, first of all, we're reminded that there is no other way of Christian prayer than Christ. Christ is is the one who teaches us how to pray. It is through Christ that we reach the Father. And it's really in pr- in praying we are united to Christ. It's really Christ's prayer that we join into. And so first we're reminded that Christian prayer is directed towards the Father in the name of Jesus. Um, the, this... Um, idea then that, you know, first we are praying to the Father. But second, the Catechism tells us we're also praying to Jesus. Um, that The Catechism says in 2666, um, but the one name that contains everything is the one that the Son of God re- received in his incarnation, Jesus. The divine name may not be spoken by human lips. But by assuming our humanity, the word of God hands it over to us, and we can invoke it, Jesus, Yahweh saves. So the idea then that we pray in the name of Jesus. So our prayer is to Jesus, in his name, to the Father. I think these sections are really important, and they they really kind of flesh out a, a practical problem. Um, that that many people have in prayer, and that is, to whom should we direct direct our prayers? To the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit? Well, the Catechism is essentially telling us in these paragraphs that really our prayer is to all three of the divine persons, um, and that when we speak to Jesus, he is um, in the presence of the Father and automatically um, draws us to the Father when we are drawn to him. And to approach the Father in the name of Jesus, um, which we hear is 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 this this centerpiece of revelation, and in His name, um, we are able to address the Father. Um, the importance of praying to Jesus um, is emphasized too throughout the tradition. Um, 
St. Paul in his great Christological hymn in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. This sort of uh, the Jesus prayer of um, Eastern monasticism. Um, even kind of uh, repeating the name of Jesus prayerfully is is a way by which we can can pray and sort of invoking his holy name. Um, certainly, um, the sacred heart of Jesus and that devotion also kind of points to this praying to Jesus, as does the uh, stations of the cross where we kind of work through um, through the, the steps of Christ. In addition to prayer to the Father and to the Holy Spirit, we also pray for the Holy Spirit and with and in the Holy Spirit. Um, no one, of course, can say the name of Jesus except by the Holy Spirit. This is 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 3. Um, so the church invites us to call upon the Holy Spirit every day, especially at the beginning and the end of a very important actions. You know, we do it at the beginning of this um, catechism series. Um, invoking the Holy Spirit to be with us as we study the church's teaching. Um, then the Catechism 2672, I think, is one of these crucial paragraphs um, about prayer. Um, and it's sort of a general thing, um, but it's it's something that we always have to keep remembering. And that is, as the Catechism says, the Holy Spirit whose anointing permeates our whole being is the interior master of Christian prayer. To be sure, there are many paths of prayers as there are persons who pray, but it is the same spirit acting in all and with all. It is in the communion of the Holy Spirit that Christian prayer is prayer in the church. Kind of finishing up this section, the Catechism points to Our Lady um, as a model for prayer, and that when we pray, we join her. Um, and I think this is an important, another important point. Um, you know, so often, again, you know, people ask, well, you know, who am I talking to in prayer? You know, is it to the Father? Is it to the Son? Is it to the Holy Spirit? Well, the Catechism has kind of told us that it it is um, to Jesus and the Father in the Holy Spirit, you know, um, so they are all three in the sense in the room. They are divine persons, you know. They are united. Um, but also the catechism reminds us that when we pray to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're also praying in communion um, with Our Lady. Now, um, you know, to be clear, Our Lady is not part of the Trinity. Um, but yet, because she is our mother and because of our union in Christ through grace, Mary accompanies us in our prayer. Um, and so there's a couple points which are made, and that is really that um, in our devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, there's usually a twofold action. First of all, um, that when we pray with Mary um, and when we ask for her prayers, um, First of all, it magnifies the Lord for the great things he did for his lowly servant. Um, then second, the second movement is the, the sort of entrusting 
the needs of the children of God to Mary so that she might present them to her son. So when we talk about Mary in devotion or um, asking Mary to help us, um, there's a twofold action. We are joining her in magnifying the Lord. <coughs> and second, we are um, kind of handing over our needs to her. Um, and so then the catechism will spend um, about four or so paragraphs going over the Hail Mary and just kind of hitting the points. And really that um, this twofold m- movement of glorifying the Lord and then bringing our supplications to Our Lady to bring to the Lord is really contained in the Hail, in the Hail Mary. Um, you know, Hail Mary, we are um, joining in the angels' greeting. Uh, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Um, we are talking about the, ultimately the wonderful things which the Lord has done in her life. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is um, the womb of Jesus, which is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. This is, of course, from the quote of of Elizabeth at the visitation. Um, Hail Mary, or Holy Mary, Mother of God. We invoke her special role and entrust our prayers and our needs to him, to her. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Again, invoking. We might say that that's part of that twofold action. So the catechism, really, you might dissect the Hail Mary into um, two movements. The first movement, which is the first part, which is, is that part that quotes um, from Scripture, substantially quotes from Scripture, um, is really glorifying the Lord by what he has done through Mary. And then the second part of the Hail Mary from Holy Mother of God, Holy Mary, Mother of God, on, is really um, bringing our supplications, our needs to Mary to bring to her son. And that really is the model for all of our devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Catechism then um, points to the saints and the role of the saints in our prayers in 2683 through um, 2691. We might say it is a kind of a continuation of the how-to of prayer. So first of all, we're reminded of the importance of the saints, that they pray for us, that they're interceding for us. But then we're also reminded that through the saints, um, the church has been blessed with many different spiritualities. Um, And the Catechism makes this point. A distinct spirituality can also arise at the point of conversion of liturgical and theological currents bearing witness to the integration of the faith into a particular human environment and its history. The different schools of Christian spirituality share in the living tradition of prayer and are essential guides for the faithful. In their rich diversity, they are refractions of the one pure light of the Holy Spirit. So we talk about different spiritualities. You know, there's the Carmelite, Franciscan, Benedictine, Jesuit, um, you know, uh, Dominican, all these different kinds, um, and even even more contemporary ones um, have arisen. Um, of course, you know, they are all kind of coming from the same Holy Spirit, um, and it is the Holy Spirit 
you know, in, who is the primary agent through authentic spirituality. And ultimately, these sections from the Catechism, the, the entirety of Part 4, I think are provided for us to evaluate the healthiness of spiritualities. Um, and that as they arise, um, we have these, these very important paragraphs from the Catechism to kind of test all things, to make sure that they are definitely from the Lord and um, from his church. The uh, Catechism talks about people who help us in prayer. So, first of all, the Christian family is the first place for the education of prayer. So the Catechism in 2685 emphasizes that really it's in the family that we need to learn how to pray. And it puts some um, emphasis on the um, role of parents in teaching their children how to pray. Ordained ministers are also supposed to be involved in the formation of others in prayer, as are religious. Certainly the catechesis of children and young people and adults must include meditation on the word of God, practicing of liturgical prayer, and internalizing all of this, really teaching people how to pray. We say that um, part of being a missionary disciple is an ongoing formation in prayer and in the sacramental life. Prayer groups are crucial, um, and in different, you know, ecclesial models or um, spiritualities or lay apostolates or movements in the church, um, uh, praying as a group or as a school of prayer is very common. There's also spiritual direction, um, which is kind of a, a unique charism that some men and women are endowed with to kind of help people along the spiritual life in um, discernment um, and in um, growing in their life of prayer. And then the catechism also kind of talks about places favorable for prayer. So certainly the church um, with the adoration of the real presence of Jesus Christ and the blessed sacrament is a, a very proper place especially for communal prayer. Um, the catechism also encourages every family and every home to have like a prayer corner um, some place with maybe scripture and icons um, to pray. The um, third is one might go to monasteries or to religious houses, especially to participate in the liturgy of the hours. And then finally, pilgrimage, places of pilgrimage, like, say like um, Cary, Ohio, um, the Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation. Um, then the catechism moves to the life of prayer. And this is 2697. Um, and in this, it really kind of is is a lot of the nuts and bolts of prayer. Um, so first of all, um, we know that prayer is the life of a new heart. It's really how we live um, in Christ. Um, we're reminded to pray always but we cannot pray the catechism t- says we cannot pray at all times if we do not pray at specific times consciously willing it that i think is a quote that should be written everywhere you know um on walls in bathrooms in tat you know tattooed on arms if need be um it's something that bears repeating we cannot pray at all times 
if we do not pray at specific times, consciously willing it. Um, we, in order for us to be mindful of the Lord, to recognize his presence and how he's at work in our life, we have to make specific time to just be focused with him each day in prayer. Probably <clears throat> the most basic and fundamental rule of prayer is you have to make time each day for it. The Catechism then goes on to say that there are three main expressions of prayer, not types of prayer. Now, since we, we did talk about that when we talked about prayer in the uh, tradition of the church, especially in the New Testament. Um, but there are three expressions of prayer. The first is vocal prayer. By words, mental or vocal, our prayer takes flesh. That's when we're talking to the Lord. We may do that vocally, you know, out loud. We may do that mentally, um, interiorly. But that's what we mean by vocal prayer, that we're actually speaking to the Lord. Um, in doing this, the heart should be present to him to whom we are speaking in prayer. Um, first of all, um, we know that this is important because the Lord himself gives it to us, especially in the gift of the Our Father. Um, and the Lord himself throughout his life engages in this. We have, um, and we covered this in our last session, all the different parts in the gospel where we see the Lord speaking, vocalizing his prayer to the Lord, to, to the Father. Um, second of all, um, vocal prayer is important because it's really a giving of our whole self, um, our mind, our will, our voice, um, our communicative ability abilities, giving them to the Lord. Finally, God wants it. He does want to hear from us. He wants us to uh, reach out to him. Um, vocal prayer is the form of prayer most readily accessible to groups. Even interior prayer, however, cannot neglect vocal prayer. When we talk about interior prayer, there's these are the next two, and that would be meditation and contemplation, the two other expressions of prayer. Even those begin, and through various methods, they begin with vocal prayer um, of some form. So then that moves us to meditation, which is the second expression of prayer. Um, in meditation, the mind seeks to understand the why and the how of the Christian life in order to adhere and respond to what the Lord is asking. Um, so it begins by engaging the mind through the help of some source. It might be sacred scripture, particularly the Gospels. It may be an icon or an image. It may be a liturgical text. It may be the writings of a spiritual father or the work of spirituality. It may even be creation itself or what's going on in my today, the events of my life, the experiences of my life, how I've encountered Christ this day. These become the source, and our mind engages these. Then we proceed to meditate on what we read helps us to make it our own by confronting it with ourselves. Here another book is opened, the Book of Life. So we take the source that we're reading or that we're looking upon 
And we also bring with it our own struggles, what's before us, what's happening, um, you know, um, and we wrestle with the truth. How does this apply to me, you know? Um, even the application of questions to the text. What is this saying to me? How is this challenging me? Um, is there something, some blessing that this is pointing to, et cetera, et cetera. In that engagement, we use um, a variety of different methods based on the spiritual masters, and there are different methods of how to engage um, the text with our own kind of um, situation, our own life, our own heart. Um, but a method, we're reminded, is only a guide. The important thing is to advance with the Holy Spirit along the one way of prayer, Christ Jesus. So many um, schools of spirituality have a formal method of meditation. So, for instance, the Benedictines have a um, kind of this a formal method they call Lexio Divina, although some people might use Lexio, that phrase Lexio Divina in different ways. It typically applies more to the Benedictine method of meditating on a text. The Jesuits have their Ignatian method. The Sulpicians have their method. Um, the Congregation of the Missions founded by St. Vincent de Paul have their own Vincentian method. Um, and you, you can find any of these methods uh, um, online. But it's kind of a formal step-by-step, -step, like how, how do you, what questions to ask, things like that. Um, these are all very helpful. Some spiritualities have less formal methods. You know, um, the Franciscan spirituality really does not have a formal method of prayer. It tends to um, borrow or use other methods. Um, you know, um, depending, you know, even within a spiritual tradition, there may be different methods used for meditation. Um, you know, so um, among the Carmelites, there are going to be um, difference, differences in methods um, based on, you know, their, their great, their great um, spiritual doctors. So the key in, in the end of the day, though, we remember that it's not so much the method as it is the goal, Jesus Christ, and the means by which we advance, namely the Holy Spirit himself. Um, and so one may come up with their own method, um, and, and I think there is a tendency maybe to be overly dependent upon one method. Um, and certainly, um, just like a tool, you know, it may get overused or worn out and need to be sharpened, or need to be needs to be replaced. And sometimes in our life, as we progress, maybe we um, stop in a certain spiritual progress, and we need to kind of go at it from a new approach. Um, so the Catechism reminds us of this. It also reminds us that whatever method we're using is really um, it should engage our entire self, our thoughts, our imagination, our emotion, our desire. Um, and it should kind of um, help us to use these to engage the mysteries of Christ. Um, the form of prayerful reflection is of great value. And, you know, we think of other forms of meditation, also the rosary. Um, we talked about Lexio Divina. Um, all of these things are form of forms of meditation 
But the Catechism says that um, we need to go further than meditation, than just meditating on the text or meditating on the particular mystery. We want to go further, and the Catechism says this going further is to the knowledge of the love of the Lord Jesus to union with him. So we want to move from meditation to this third um, expression of prayer, which we call contemplative prayer. Now, the catechism has a whole bunch of different definitions for contemplative prayer. And, you know, it's one of those realities. It's really hard to define. Um, And that's why, you know, there's always going to be business for um, spiritual doctors of the church. You know, there's always going to be these great mystics in the church who can explain things in slightly different ways because contemplation... um, can be explained in, in so many different ways. Um, but So some of the definitions um, St. Teresa of Avila says is that contemplation is nothing else than a close sharing between friends, between me and God. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. Um, it is, the Catechism says, also um, in this inner prayer that we can still meditate but our intent, attention is fixed on the Lord himself. So a lot of times people will define contemplation as meditation not so much on the mysteries of Christ or on some passage or, or reading or scripture, but on Jesus himself, that there's sort of a shift that happens in, in our meditation from the text to Christ himself. Um, we're reminded... Um, Practically, um, as we talk about this this very deep subject, is um, that time and dur- duration of prayer is crucial, um, and it arises from a determined will. Um, that when we enter into contemplative prayer, we need to prepare ourselves, just like when we go to Mass, we need to prepare ourselves. And part of that is also the use of vocal prayer and meditation to get us there. Um, In 2712, um, in, in contemplative prayer, um, we realize that um, the love of God is being poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and with it every grace. Um, and so in some ways, contemplative prayer is really this sort of poor and humble surrendering to the love and will of, loving will of the Father. Um, contemplation helps us to embrace divine providence, the will of God for us. It helps us to grow in patience um, with the things of this world and of our life. And it's ultimately just kind of falling into this union with him, surrendering ourselves to him. That's another kind of way to explain contemplative prayer. It is the simplest expression of the mystery of prayer. It is a gift. It is a covenant with God and it is communion with the Trinity. Um, It is an intense time of prayer, perhaps the most intense time of prayer, ultimately grounded in love. In 2715, um, contemplation is defined as a gaze of faith, a gaze of faith upon um, the Lord, where the Lord gazes upon us and we gaze upon him. This is why I think contemplation... Um, 
is is done so well in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, especially the uh, exposed Blessed Sacrament in Eucharistic Adoration, where um, Christ in the monstrance is is in a sense physically gazing upon us. Um, that gaze purifies us, and we are able um, to gaze upon Him, which clears, you know, kind of enables this great contemplation. Um, Contemplative prayer includes hearing the word of God um, and responding to it, both a hearing and a response. It involves silence, a silent loving. It enables us to really be united to Christ and to participate in his mysteries. Going beyond just looking at the mysteries from outside, we begin to look at the mystery, to really live the mysteries of Christ's life. Um, so this is um, an important section, um, that those sections on vocal prayer, meditation, and contemplation. The catechism then shifts to the battle of prayer. So we all struggle with prayer. This is, this is part of being a human being. Uh, being in the body is the struggle of prayer. Um, we battle really against ourselves. We battle against the wiles of the tempter. Um, and this really, you know, means prayer is a lot like life. You know, we're continually kind of struggling for Christ, and so prayer, you know, it it requires a battle. Um, the Catechism says that, though, that um, <coughs> what's key, what's key is just as we avoid sin um, in our life by that developing the habit of virtue, so also we avoid problems in prayers. We persevere in prayer through the habits of good prayer. And so throughout this section, which begins in 2725, the catechism is going to kind of help us to kind of confront some of the problems with prayer in our prayer life and then also some of the good habits as well. So um, we all have these objections to prayer. And the catechism um, really singles out, um, and this is going to be quite a bit, singles out nearly... um, 15, I think it's the count is 19 obstacles to prayer. And they circle around three areas. First of all is erroneous notions of prayer. The second is um, really in um, being driven by the mentality of the present world. And then the third is failure in prayer. So first, erroneous notions of prayer. So we may have problems with prayer because we have an erroneous understanding of it. So these errors, first of all, we might see prayer as simply a psychological activity. Um, That, um, I think, is, you know, part of the danger of New Age um, meditations and Eastern meditations, um, especially when it's kind of Um, promoted for self-help kind of things is well we just see this as sort of a a psychological activity to help us deal with stress or to deal with whatever other issues the second error is um, that really prayer is an effort of concentrating to reach a mental void and that is almost um, this eastern form of meditation that basically you know we want to 
focusing on whatever it is, our interior self, some outside object, in order to somehow escape this world or to enter into some sort of void of, of nothingness. Third, um, we might reduce prayer to just ritual words and postures. Again, um, you know, this this could just be rote prayers, just the repetition of rote prayers, just to repeat rote prayers. Um, you know, that I have these memorized and I'm going to say an Our Father, a Hail Mary, and a Glory Be before I go to bed every night and when I wake up every morning and that's sufficient. Um or even, you know, to reduce prayer to some sort of posturing, um, which is similar to the to the Hindu and Buddhist practices of yoga, um, that, you know, it's really about right posture. Or if I just kind of genuflect, that's a sufficient kind of posture. The fourth error is that many Christians consciously regard prayer as an occupation, that is incomparable with all other things they have to do. They don't have the time, we might say, that, that somehow, you know, prayer is a really nice thing to do. It's one of a many, many nice things to do, but you know, I have to eat three times a day. Um, I need to exercise because that's what um, society tells me I need to do and my doctors tell me I need to do. You know, I need to take care of my kids. I need to check my email. I need to um, do this and that and this and that and I just don't have time for prayer <clears throat> what that fails to realize is that you know prayer is the most essential thing that we do um, and it is time with the most essential person in the universe um, even more essential to our universe than ourselves um, and then finally um, we might be discouraged because we do not know that prayer comes also from the Holy Spirit and not from themselves alone. So I think sometimes we think that there's all this effort and work that we have to put into prayer um, and that it's really the Holy Spirit who guides it. And that it's almost sort of a detachment. Um, you know, when we um, approach prayer, and especially when it's um, on a list of other activities that we have to do, if it doesn't seem, you know, um, you know, to meet our standards or the metrics that we have set for the other activities of our days, then we can kind of reduce it and say, well, it's my least favorite thing or it's the least necessary thing or maybe it's the thing I need to be cut because it seems to be the less productive. Um, but then with that whole perspective, the idea that any time that we are in prayer, the Holy Spirit is at work and a divine action is happening. It's not just, you know, that I haven't met my human standards and metrics, but rather that um, the Lord himself is doing a great thing. So those are some of the errors just centered around erroneous notions of prayer. The other one is embracing this mentality of the present world. It can kind of... Um, penetrate our lives if we are not vigilant, the catechism says. So examples of that is um, some would say um, that prayer is not worth it or you know they kind of disregard it um, because it can't be verified by reason and science. Um, yet we're reminded that prayer is a mystery that overflows both our conscious and unconscious lives. So, you know, if there's some experience 
we could reduce it to just some sort of um, physiological reaction or something that prayer has helped us to do. But realize that even if we don't feel or experience anything in prayer, something profound is happening um, by that. Um, The next one is others overly prize production and profit, thus prayer being unproductive is useless. Still others exalt sensuality and comfort as the criteria of the true, the good, and the beautiful. Um, and therefore, you know, this this prayer may not be comfortable. It may not be, um, you know, I may not get great feelings from it. Um, I may not get any feelings from it. Um, And then finally, um, some see prayer as a flight from the world in reaction against activism. But in fact, Christian prayer is neither an escape from from reality nor a divorce from life. And that is, I think, is a crucial reminder um, of prayer. Is you know we're not escaping reality. Um, In fact, we're really bringing reality to the Lord in this. Um, And Prayer is not a divorce from life. It's really where life happens, um, if you want to think about it in its, in its best way. Finally, um, another group of, of problems that arise in prayer is really just in the failure of prayer. Um, so we might get discouraged because of periods of dryness. Um, there may be a certain sadness um, because we have great possessions. Um, we don't want to let go of things in order to make the time for prayer or prayer might challenge us to change our lives um, we have um, might be disappointed over not being heard according to our own will we may have some sort of wounded pride um, and then we may be resistant to the idea that prayer is a free and unmerited gift that this is um, something which the Lord is primarily doing. (coughs) To overcome these obstacles, the Catechism tells us, we need to battle um, to gain humility, trust, and perseverance. The Catechism um, focuses on really these issues of building um, humility, trust, and perseverance. and um, the rest of, of, of this particular section deals with really building those. So first, um, developing a humble vigilance of prayer. First of all, we have to face these difficulties of prayer. And one of them is distraction. Distraction. Um, the Catechism reminds us um, that what we need to do is um, to not hunt down the distractions or else we get trapped by them. In a sense, what the Catechism is telling us, when a distraction arises, redirect to the Master. Um, So distractions are always going to happen. They're always going to happen in prayer. The key is to redirect ourselves. We have to serve the Master. Um, This requires a certain sobriety of heart, of vigilance, and that vigilance is a kind of a focus on today, on what's before me. Another difficulty is dryness, which especially belongs to contemplative prayer. 
And it, it can be when the heart is separated from God, with no taste for thoughts, memories, and feelings, even spiritual ones. This can be very difficult, but from this experience, the Lord brings great grace. Um, now, certain dryness, of course, can come. Um, it might not actually be dryness. It may be that uh, we need to deal with some issues. You know, distra- it might be distractions. It may be um, an examination of conscience and, and the use of the sacrament of confession. Um, so there, there may be other causes, which the catechism has pointed to before here, um, that point to dryness. The catechism then also says to tell us to face temptations in prayer. Um, one is a lack of faith that may arise. Um, but we're simply reminded that apart from the Lord, we can do nothing. Um, and that prayer really becomes... Um, the point of surrendering to the Lord all of our life. Another temptation is what we call acedia. Now, some people will just kind of say that this is a certain laziness when it comes to spiritual life. But the Catechism and um, some important recent books um, and also um, the spiritual tradition of the church, they really give a, a much more complex understanding of acedia. And they understand it's to be understood as a form of depression, really, due to lax ascetical practice, decreasing vigilance and carelessness of heart, almost a disinterest in spiritual things. Um, Then filial trust is an important point. Now, when we have a difficulty with filial trust, the Catechism says that we really need to confront these things with two questions. First of all, why do we think, perhaps, that our petitions have not been heard? This is most often the case um, of issues with trust in prayer. Why is it that I think that my petitions have not been heard? And then second is, how is how is our prayer heard? How is it efficacious? So first... Um, why is it that we think that our petitions have not been heard? Well, the Catechism addresses this um, really with th- with three responses. First of all, um, when we praise God or give him thanks, um, we need to embrace the fact that um, we should not be concerned whether our prayer is acceptable to him or not. Um, On the other hand, we demand to see the results of our petitions. Um, What is the image of God that motivates our prayer? Is he an instrument to be used, or is he the father of our Lord Jesus Christ? So the Catechism challenges us that, first of all, when we're praying and, and we think that maybe we're not being heard, you know, how are we looking at God? You know, first of all, are we looking to him as, you know, one that we ought to praise, one that we ought to give thanks, um, not because, per se, that he demands it or he He needs it, but that rather, really, that he is our creator and we are his creatures. And also with that is that he's not a mere instrument just to serve our needs, but rather we are here to serve him. 
The second really kind of issue to confront when we're tempted to think that our prayer is not heard is um, that we need to really embrace the fact that we do not know how to pray as we ought. Um, that we're really, we really need to beg God to help us, to teach us to pray. Um, and that really in the, in the gift of our freedom um, and really the handing over of ourselves um, is really the, the greatest thing about prayer. It's really sort of the great gift of prayer. Then finally, um, we need to really be challenged whether or not we have a divided heart, whether in a, in a sense we're adulterers, whether we're willing to um, embrace the will of the Father, um, or whether we're really trying to embrace the will of the world or the will of ourselves. Um, so these are some hard points to really confront us, but essentially, essentially, the key is is to to be reminded is of course our prayer is being heard um, but we have to be detached from our will and that leads us to the second point is how is our prayer efficacious first of all Christian prayer is a cooperation with divine providence his plan for the love of men it's God's plan and strategy that we follow not our own it's his plan Second, um, prayer enables us um, to be transformed. That our first um, kind of, um, the first response to our petition, the catechism will say, is really a transformation of heart. That when we turn to the Lord in prayer, thinking that we haven't been heard, of course we've been confronted with that truth, but then also kind of stuck on our own will, when we turn to prayer, our heart begins to soften to accept the will of the Father. Third, when we pray, we join Jesus Christ. And in fact, he is our model of prayer. And we see how he embraced the will of the Father. And that re- that leads to the fourth point is, you know, um, when we pray, we join with Christ's prayer on the cross, which is this great prayer of surrendering to the will of the Father. So, when we're tempted to think that our prayers are not being heard or they're not being answered according to our will, the first is to challenge the issue of why we pray. And then the second is to see how prayer moves our heart and our will to accept the will of the Father. Finally, the Catechism tells us that um, we need to persevere in love when it comes to prayer. Um, and it's really um, a continual continual giving of ourselves. We talk about praying constantly. Um, the catechism and the scriptures talk about that, praying constantly, praying at all times. Um, the tireless fervor can come only from love. Against our dullness and laziness, the battle of prayer is that of a humble, trusting, and persevering love. This love opens our hearts to three enlightening and life-giving facts of faith about prayer. So there are these three basic facts of prayer. First of all, it is always possible to pray. It is always possible to pray. Christ is always near us. Second, 
prayer is a vital necessity. If I don't pray, I can't live. It's how I breathe as a disciple of Christ. Third, prayer and the Christian life are inseparable, for they concern the same love and the same renunciation, proceeding from love, the same filial and loving conformity. You know, we've talked about life in Christ um, the last three parts of the catechism, you know, the sacraments, living the mysteries of Christ, the moral life, life in Christ, and then Christian prayer, which is part of this Christian life. As Christians, we live by praying. Finally, um, to conclude, the catechism does do a summary, 26, 2746 through 2751. They do a summary of Jesus' high priestly prayer, um, which is taken from John chapter 17. Um, This was alluded to earlier when we talked about um, Jesus and the various um, passages in the gospel where we see him praying. Um, We're reminded that our prayer, and especially in its difficulty, is this prayer of union with Christ, and especially with this prayer that we see um, in John chapter 17, um, in which... All of our life um, is a sacrificial prayer, recapitulated in Christ and united to the Father. Um, By entering into the holy name of Jesus, we are able to call upon our Father. Um, And finally, in this prayer, Jesus reveals and gives to us the knowledge, inseparably one, of the Father and the Son, which is the very mystery of the life of prayer. So in conclusion, as we end um, this this section, um, we're reminded that our prayer is um, united in Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit to the Father, um, that it is really a gift of our whole self, um, and it is really um, a living, living for um, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, next, in our next session, we will cover the very last part, last section of this fourth part. It will be the end of our catechism tour, um, and we will cover the Our Father, that supreme gift um, of prayer which Jesus has revealed to us. As we um, conclude in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. This is listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. You've been listening to Catechesis from the Cathedral with Father Adam Streitenberger. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, download it, or share it with a friend, please visit stgabrielradio.com, go to our audio archives, and look for Catechesis from the Cathedral. Thanks so much for joining us today. God bless, and have a great day.